I'm Gary Bard, founder and editor-in-chief of today's Caregiver Magazine and Caregiver.com, and your host for our weekly caregiving podcast series. In this podcast, we will introduce you to many of the leading caregiving thought leaders, authors, experts, and even caregivers with famous faces who have graced the covers of our magazine. My guest today is Stephanie Erickson, a fellow family caregiver advocate. Stephanie earned her master's degree in social work and has worked in many clinical settings in her career, including youth services and investigating child abuse allegations. For the past 14 years, Stephanie's developed a specialty of psychosocial evaluations to determine if individuals have the capacity to make decisions for themselves due to their dementia or intellectual disabilities. Stephanie's passion for motivating and inspiring others to live their best lives is felt through her many media presentations, as well as keynotes and workshops. And Stephanie joins us here today, among many other things, to talk about her new book, Plan for Aging Well, which is a book title that doubles as great advice, as well as a terrific book. Stephanie, it's a pleasure to have you join us today. Thanks so much, Gary. What a nice introduction. Stephanie, let's just dive in. What are the essential legal and financial considerations for older adults and their families? Well, I, th- I think the whole point of having legal and financial plans in place is so that whatever your values are, your expectations, your fears, your desires are all there and provided for should you fall ill and should you need assistance. I mean, that's the basis of any plan. It's like prepping for what could possibly happen. So in terms of a financial plan, you know, it's people thinking about, do I want to live at home as I age? Am I open to moving to a retirement community? What if I need some level of nursing care? What does that mean? And what are all the sources of expenses that revolve around that for me? and in the concept of teen caregiving, my entire family. So if I do want to stay home, and then that implicates my children to support me, do I have funds set aside to help them pay for their mortgage or whatever they might need because they have to take a break from their work in order to provide for me? So it's like this multi-layer plan with the person and their entire family. In terms of the legal aspect, again, it's about putting your wishes and your expectations in writing. And that has to do with your health care. So that is not only, you know, if I'm in a coma, what do you do? But it's also, do you want tube feeding? Um, would you want to be in a residence? And if so, what does that look like to you? What kind of a residence would that be? How do you want your family to communicate on your behalf? Who do you want to be in charge of the direct messaging given to the healthcare professionals? And all of that should be put in a legal document and of course, communicated with the family. Stephanie, how do we advocate effectively within the healthcare system? Be the squeaky wheel. I mean, I wish that I could say it's super easy to do. And with some healthcare professionals, you don't even feel like you're advocating. You really do feel like you're part of the team. And so it doesn't feel like you're being that squeaky wheel. But for most of the families with whom I work, they find brushed off by the healthcare professionals. And I don't know that it's the professional's intent to do so. I think it's the structure of the system where we have just too many people and not enough time and not enough resources. So the time direct one-on-one with your patient is limited. Um, But I think to advocate effectively, you have to truly believe that this is your life. Your life has value and you are entitled to ask for and get 
all the type of care and services that you feel like you need. And I don't just mean the physical care. I also mean the emotional care and the spiritual care. So, and this is really important to me and many other family caregivers. What's the best advice you have for initiating difficult decisions? Do you mean with the healthcare professional or do you mean within the family? With the families, with the loved ones. Yeah, it's hard. And I think a nice approach is to remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? So it's like, if you think about having a conversation with your teenagers about sex, for example, you don't just dive in and talk about everything the first time and then not have the conversation. The conversations begin and the, um, the perspectives begin when kids are really young and do we have openness in this family? How are we going to talk about things? And then over time, you start getting into more and more details about like say sex or something or whatever it might be, drug use, whatever it might be. And the same thing I think applies as we get older is that it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So we're starting with just very basic and benign conversations. And if you think of it like starting out side of who you are. So it's, did you hear what happened in the news to this person who we don't know? And what are your thoughts on it? Did you hear what happened to our neighbor, someone who we kind of know, but it's not completely close to us? Did you hear what happened to Aunt Susie? Now let's talk about that. And now let's talk about what I want. So it's kind of like slowly setting the stage, massaging the topics and working your way in to the very personal aspects. And listen, people time to prep, you know, and active listening, make sure that you know, where what their appreciation of your conversation is at any level with family caregiving with, with anything i mean nobody nobody listens that's with anything i mean the the biggest part of communication is actually listening and that is a huge piece of of any relationship and certainly in the caregiving realm as well listening is is important and also the boundaries of the listening because when i'm telling you what i want or when my mom is telling me what she wants, it's about her and her life. It's not about me. So I have to listen and I have to remove myself from her value system and help support her and her value system and know that my value system can be totally different. What about, um, what's your thought on validation theory as opposed to reality theory? Like basically, if your loved one's dealing with the cognitive issues, try to reach them where they are as opposed to try to get them understand your your view of reality i i think if someone has dementia reality-based conversation is just like you know for a caregiver hitting their head against the wall um i you know i used to kind of be on the other side of that i'll be honest with you that's sort of where i started because as a professional i was thinking oh ethically we have to be honest we have to tell the truth and then i was seeing what this was doing to someone with dementia and i was thinking okay that that cannot work in the realm of dementia I prefer to, to not only validate and, and it's more explore where the person is. So I don't feel like I'm necessarily lying, but I'm just exploring where they are. So if, and I go over actually some of these examples in my book. So let's say if um, someone says to me, I want to go home, but we're sitting in their house instead of saying, but you are home. Or I would say, what does your home look like? What does your home smell like? Who's at your home? So you mentioned the book and I'm really glad you did because I want to find out from you what I as a caregiver can discover when I get the book, open it, start reading it. I think the most eye-opening thing for people has been two different concepts. One is the concept of team, team caregiving, meaning 
kind of confirming for the caregiver that first of all, they're very essential. It's not just about the patient. It's also about them and what, what that ever, whatever the intervention is for the pa uh, patient and how that impacts them. And also all of the team members that are involved, like a financial advisor, like an attorney that you brought up in the beginning. The second piece that I think has been really helpful for caregivers and things that I've heard is that no one really thought a lot about the mind and the soul as part of aging. Everybody focuses more on the physical care. And then they started reading and thinking, wow, that's right. We have a soul. We have emotions. And it is true. Our body may slow down, but our internal needs rise as we age. And we as a society need to rise to that occasion to meet those other needs of people. And I think that's been the most eye-opening for people thinking, okay, how can I as a caregiver or a potential caregiver down the road um, explore that option, the spiritual options and the emotional health of my loved one and, and intervene there as well as the physical needs. Very, very important. Um, so what do you hope a caregiver gains after having read the book? Well, I always want caregivers to feel heard because they often feel tossed aside in the healthcare system. It's, oh, what does the patient need? Okay, well, let's increase this. And here, um, Susie, go home and just find some home care for your mom. And then Susie leaves and is like, what does this mean? What's home care? How do I get it? How am I, you know? So I think for me, I really want caregivers to feel heard, that they are seen. I see you. I know that this is really hard for you too. And I want your needs to be met just as much as the patient. So I hope they can take that away. And then I hope there's a piece of them that feels inspired to kind of stand up and ask for more, ask for more for themselves and ask for more for their loved one. I think your background as a uh, 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 you know, a public advocate, as uh, someone who's comfortable in front of people, as someone with a deep understanding and, and actually a master's degree in social work, and someone who's dealt hands-on with many, many family caregivers, actually, that's the heart and soul of the book. You're right. It's not uh, clinical where it's, now you do this and turn the page. It, the, the humanity is what comes through. Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. That makes me feel really good. That's, that's the kind of feedback that I was hoping. And when people were saying to me, people who know me were saying to me, it's like we were having coffee and I was hearing you rant about your frustrations about whatever, um, which made me feel good. Like, okay, there's my voice. And then people who I don't know are saying to me, like all the stories that you integrate in the practical experiences and observations that I've made and what it looks like from my lens but with the compassion and the empathy of a human being and what that experience is like for the family, you know, and, and that understanding that this is a, a very difficult process to be a caregiver and there really is no right answer and you have to do what's right for you and your family. And I'm glad to hear that. Well, that's what I'm hearing is that that's coming across and that makes me really happy. <laughs> Let's talk about some quick takeaways. Why is it important for families to create a contingency plan for if and when their loved ones fall ill? Well, you never know what's gonna happen, right? Life is about a lot about surprises. And I think this pandemic kind of showed us all that uh, we can be as prepared as we want, but we're never really completely prepared. I mean, this took us all by surprise and a lot of people fell quite ill. So if this didn't wake people up, I don't know what else could, but you know, we need to be ready for the worst case scenario. And one of the benefits of having an anxiety, I have generalized anxiety disorder. One of the benefits is that I'm a worst case scenario preparer 
which actually is good because in, for some ways there's some benefits because I'm always thinking, okay, if something goes wrong, what kind of plan do we have in place? And I think it's important for caregivers to do that now because nobody makes good decisions in the time of a crisis. Everyone, you know, feels stressed out, you feel pressure, you have time constraints, resource restraints, you have a lot of, you know, talking hands behind you telling you what to do. So to make a plan when there are no talking hands, when you are in a, you know, a calm spot is a way to do it, because then your real wishes, your real um, tasks, responsibilities, the things that need to be executed come out very clear, because you're not in a panicked position. Excellent, excellent. Another tip? How about a tip for simple solutions to improve the support for someone living with dementia? Well, I think we talked about this, Gary, a, a bit earlier is just about, you know, trying to find out from the person who has dementia, what is the feeling behind their behavior? Because if they're wandering, if they're um, agitated, there's something that's happening. And so I think if we can try and always flip what we might consider a negative behavior and think of it as a protective behavior, which is something else I discuss in the book, because sometimes um, professionals will say this person's aggressive, but I don't see anybody as aggressive. I see them as protective. There's a reason why they're arguing, pushing the nurses aid away when they don't want a bath, there's something happening. So I think for as a caregiver to think underneath those layers is what is a person experiencing and trying to meet them there, it might help to change that behavior or change a situation and always, always, always consult with a professional because you're, there are people available to support you and coach you and give you tips and advice. So you can have a million things you can try and find one that works for you. Uh, but you're not alone and to reach out. And the question I've asked every celebrity, every expert, every caregiver for 25 years. So no pressure. What's the one most important piece of advice you'd like to share with your fellow family caregivers? You matter. You matter and your loved one matters equally. Take care of that person 